Vaughn and the Metabolic Studio offers the Explorers Club to share meaningful journeys, encounters, and projects in an intimate setting at the Metabolic Studio. Session 27, September 15, 2016, features Tim Williams and his talk on K-Chop Radio. Let's tune in, connect, and listen. I'm Tim, and I've come here today to represent K-Chunk to you folks. But I would definitely be one of the first people to also say that K-Chunk is a very large-scale collaborative art project, um, and the individuals involved number in the hundreds. So the perspective that I'm bringing is mine. I do think that it probably squares with most of my colleagues, Um, but I'm just one guy. So K-Chung is what we're hearing in the background right now. This is actually live from the studio that's on Broadway. The program that's on right now is called Transcending with Tori. Tori interviews people about various things. I don't know if we're going to hear any more of her show or not. So K-Chung is, if anything, an experiment. Um, And it's an experiment that's been going on for quite some time now, more than five years. It started in the spring of 2011, and what we're seeing here is an image from one of the first broadcasts. K-Chung was started by three artists, um, Solomon Bothwell, Luke Fishbeck, and Harsh Patel. And they were very much tapping into the community of artists that did things in Chinatown. And Solomon was interested in radio engineering things, and the other two were also interested in some new forms and broadcasting and so at the public school on Chongqing Road they set up a small AM transmitter and started broadcasting in plain sight and that was that was one of the the goals to be to take the invisibility away from local and community broadcasting so for some of the early broadcasts on Chongqing Road, the DJs and broadcasters were actually in a booth where they could be seen by the passers-by in addition to being received by radios within a quarter mile or so. And slowly, a K-Chung schedule came to form where different DJs would come in and do a program for an hour or two hours and it would be broadcast and also streamed live on the web. In a, in a slow but sure organic process, some basic structures developed, including the idea that there should be a station manager, someone who would be standing by to help what was sometimes a first-time broadcaster get their ideas onto the air. And also, the station managers would begin archiving shows. So, not only was Kei Chung doing low-power terrestrial broadcasting, but was also streaming online and archiving all of its content. In addition to having this almost kind of performative, uh, community-based vibe, as illustrated here, here's a picture of Luke and Solomon with one of the early transmitters. Um, Some of the ideas that I want to also disclaim: this was before my time at K-Chung, so a lot of what I'm what I'm relating to is impressionistic and based on what I've spoken with people about, but some of the ideas that the people who began doing K-Chung were interested in were unrestricted expression, really like a no rules, 
everything goes kind of environment. Um, music, sound, art, news, anything. Uh, first time broadcasters, seasoned broadcasters, techno DJs, whatever. Whatever would go. And uh, part of this grew out of Solomon, it, and there's this great interview, and I think it was in Sex Magazine, where Solomon is talking about going to a college radio station because he's interested in broadcasting, and they're talking about format and how there's going to be all these rules attached to what the people do. And of course, he's completely uninterested in it, and he described the K-Chung project as being something that would lower the bar. So basically, get rid of expectations and let anybody do anything and have a structure that would welcome listenership into production. And as unlikely as an idea as it was, it, it caught on and uh, a lot of the artists in that community did it and it's steadily grown since then. Today we have over 200 uh, regularly scheduled programs and then there's a bunch of other stuff that we do which I'll also talk about. Um, but the, the station manager role, and I'm a station manager, is to basically be at the studio so that if someone is coming in and it's the first time they've been to the studio and they have an idea of the radio program that they want to do, that they can do it. Sure, stuff comes out completely amateur, there's dead air, there's you know, missed segues, uh, people don't talk into the mic. I mean, I could, I could list the problems for an hour. But, but it really, it welcomes people and engages people and then they come back and they want to do it. And, and also, it provides a, a platform for them to post Instagram that they're doing something or tie it into another art project that they're doing. And, and like I said, it, it sort of caught on. One of the unlikely things about K-Chung is that it is completely supported, or the broadcast operations and our, our rents in Chinatown are completely supported by our own dues. So for a very, very long time, like over four years, uh, K-Chung was basically just operating more or less like a non-hierarchical collective. And for a while we had uh, a financial, like a fiscal partner in the Pasadena Arts Council to, to do our accounting so that we could receive nonprofit donations in the, you know, the dues would be nonprofit. But for a variety of other reasons, which I'll get to, we are now actually a nonprofit. However, the staff and the board are almost ancillary to the way that the broadcast operations work. It's still very non-hierarchical. If you want a show on K-Chung, you, you fill out a form, you send an email, and you get on the waiting list. Also, you can get onto the sub-list and begin doing air in our... This is our old board. This was a broadcast console that we got from uh, K... PSC in Pomona. Um, these two guys are famous skateboarders. One of them is a host, another is a guest. Um, some of the most uh, well-received uh, shows, or in terms of listenership, have been the skateboard stars coming in to K-Chung. Uh, and occasionally, and there's been some hip-hop stars that have come in. Uh, but we do not focus on stats. In fact, I'm not sure that anyone has access uh, other than a few people because we try to make it about doing the shows. Uh, so we have lowered the bar. It's like, it's an, it is basically an open mic. It's an open mic radio station. And so you can hear some just really challenging stuff. <laughs> um, but on, but on the flip side, as has been noted by some, some people in the K-Chung community who are 
well connected in the LA art scene, almost everyone passes through. I mean, maybe not everybody, but like a lot of people have passed through. Either they have done a show or they've been a guest on a show and it has really stoked community among people in a unique way. From my personal experience, I came to Kaichung just moving to LA. I knew what Kaichung was. I thought that I might want to be involved with it, but it has turned out to be a way for me to kind of find a community. And then I've done other things, but you always run, but I always run into someone from Kaichung, or someone always knows someone who did a show on Kaichung. And it's very, it's very fun because um, because yeah, I mean, it's just fun. Keep trying to, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a vision, this is from a, I'm cribbing this from a slideshow, someone else did this one line. It's a vision of public broadcasting that empowers listeners to create their own content. This is another shot of our studio. Our studio is not luxurious, but it, it has, it's a charm. I have seen this, this kind of scene at least 10 times where someone will be invited to be on a show and there'll be 10 people in the studio and there'll be 90 degrees in there. You know? <laughs> but, but the magic for people who have never been in a radio studio, it's, it's, kind, it's, it's electric and it's inspiring. Um, in addition to our regular schedule of broadcasts, I want to show you really quickly how our website is set up. There's an archive, and the archive is also non-hierarchical. <laughs> it's by date, and someday it probably will be more browsable. It is searchable, and you can search by show, um, by show name, but the idea is really to create, again, a platform for the individual broadcaster to do something and then have a record of it the next day. And we don't do podcasting. It's just internet stream and the archive. But, um, but that's quite a resource, you know, for, for $10 a month. And that's what we all so pay and do. Is the archive on your website, but it's not, is it on SoundCloud or anything? That is a fantastic question. The archive is actually hosted by another organization called Los Angeles Contemporary Archive, who themselves are part of human resources. Okay. So we, we sort of have a database partner okay. for the archive. And part of the work that LACA does is actually imposing a sort of library taxonomy on the content that gets uploaded. So there's actually metadata that is managed on the lack of site, but it's pulled from the daily broadcast archive. Um, but no, no SoundCloud, no so podcast. You, you access it via your website. Correct. Correct. Or the lack of website, either. But um, individual DJs are free to do whatever they want with their own content, and a lot of people just rely on the MP3s that get posted to be their own personal archive of their content. Um, so there's the archive, but then also Keichung is very fond of the idea of remote broadcasting, and there's two general ways that that takes shape. The first way is that we actually have facilities to we have an additional live stream. In addition to our mainstream, we have an alternate mobile broadcast stream, which obviously is not always being used, but for special events, places where there's internet connectivity as far away as Utah, or I think uh, we did an installation in Philadelphia, that stream will be available for a limited amount of time on KHM website. As we are a band of radio enthusiasts, the other kind of mobile broadcast that happens is remote, low-power FM broadcasting, where we actually have low-power FM transmitters that will take to a site and broadcast to that immediate area. 
And again, sometimes that's more like a performance than it is a way for someone to functionally listen to the radio in a car or something. But there have been instances, including a, a record swap meet in Chinatown where someone would put radios all over the place and there would be no PA. There would just be a transmitter and using a bunch of radios to amplify the sound. So it's, it, it, we have a, a number of ways that we do radio. So Keichung is not just a radio station. Um, it's also a, it's an art project and the two things have kind of coexisted and co-evolved. So I think here we're seeing an image of someone from the Keichung news team conducting an interview in Westwood at a Fallen the Fruit pop-up store. And I believe that this was around the same time that Keichung was um, the, one of the artists in residence at the Hammer Museum. So this, this might have been something that was a, a live stream and this is at the Bowtie Project, uh, The Unfinished, which is a obelisk sculpture by Michael Parker. And you can see on the left-hand side, uh, up over here, the remote FM transmitter. So in this case, we're actually doing a live radio broadcast on site next to the LA River, the Glendale Narrows area. This is Solomon installing the FM transmitter on the roof of the Hammer Museum when Keichung was in residence there. And I think that that was in maybe the fall of 2013. And here's another on the street. I think this is either near or just right in front of the Hammer. So, in addition to Keichung being a broadcast facility and a remote broadcast project, it's also really a platform. One of the, um, one of the people who's very involved in the station, Evan Walsh, is uh, fond of saying that Keichung, anybody can be Keichung. And anyone can say that they're Keichung, and anyone can do a project and call it Keichung. And this is a really radical idea. And for, for people who are involved in uh, more hierarchical art organizations, um, this is this is seems terrifying, yeah, you know, because of you know issues of who's going to regulate the content, you know, how are we going to keep a safe space? There's tons of issues that come up with the idea of just saying anyone can do this, but in, in my experience with a couple small bumps in the road, it actually works really well. And one thing that I've seen happen over and over again is that there's someone, and the profile that I see is, it skews younger, but it includes people who are, um, you know, also older, and I'm using myself, you know, younger is 20s and older is 50s and 60s because of where I sit. Um, but I often see people who are, they're college radio DJs, they're no longer in the town that their college is at, they don't really have an in to be part of a media organization in Los Angeles. They discover K-Chung, they go to it, it looks like a college radio station, it smells like a college radio station, and they're at home and they, and they want to do it. And they volunteer and they join the staff and they, they become really involved. And they're not artists. They don't identify as artists. And then they see all of this activity that we're involved with. And then all of a sudden they're artists or stand-up comedians. And you know, their 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 adult trans their early adult transformation happens at Keichung. And that's a very interesting thing to me. Also, I see people who are lifelong record collectors or whatever, and they've never had the opportunity to do radio, and all of a sudden there's this 
room with two turntables and a broadcast console, and they're falling in love with radio for the first time. They never had a college radio station, so it, it it's a really it's a it's a powerful thing for me, even though it's happening on a really small scale. No one's being paid. Everyone's a volunteer, but anyone can do it. So then there's the artists, people with MFA degrees, people who have ambitions, and they come to LA, and and I also relate to this to a certain degree. And you don't know anybody, and everybody knows everybody, and you don't have a thing that you do. You're a painter, you're a performance artist, you, you do something, but there's no, you don't have a platform, you don't have an audience, and. All of a sudden, someone says, "Hey, you can do this thing, and you can send out an Instagram on our Instagram feed, announcing your radio show is on, and you can tell the world everything about yourself for an hour." And people do it, and then they want to produce a K Chung event and have K Chung sponsor their thing. Um, so K Chung operates as an available platform. It's almost like an open mic platform. Uh, this this shot I want to come back to. Subsequent to Kei Chung's residency at the Hammer Museum, it was included in the Made in LA Biennial two years ago in 2014. It was one of a few collectives that were included as artists in the Biennial, and the project that Kei Chung came up with was Kei Chung TV with a green screen and a booth. And for the opening, uh, I don't know what you call it, but a place to have your photos taken with the logos behind you. We see them all around LA. Um, and, you know, there was typical hijinks. And, and that, was, that was a lot of fun. So th there was also, for a while, a serialized Kaichung TV program called Kaichung TV that broadcast from the Hammer Museum during the main LA Biennial. And that was something that sort of put Kaichung on more people's radar. And it was followed closely by an article in the New York Times, and this is the image that ran in the New York Times, about Kaichung. And this is around, this is just after I became involved, and I remember the wait list went from, you know, like 50 people to 200 people because people read the start, oh my god, this sounds great, it's in LA. And since then, we've expanded our schedule, and there's 40 plus station managers at this point. We broadcast six days a week, sometimes as much as 12 hours a day. And then, if you are a station manager, you can actually come into the studio and go on the air at any time. The way that the live stream works... Oh, I want to step back and say that our broadcast operations in Chinatown are low-power AM and not regulated by the FCC. We broadcast at... I forget what the threshold is, but it is in the so-called Part 15 of the FCC rules... So we're broadcasting at a lower wattage than requires a license. So really, there's no rules. <laughs> uh, and of course, the internet is, a, is the Wild West, too. So the stuff that goes out over the stream at any given time, like we've just been listening to, is what is going on in the studio. And it sounds like maybe tran transcending with Tori is over. We'll see does if that, something does that also comes bypass you guys paying royalties? Oh, that's a great question. Okay, let me come back to that. That is a really good one. Um, it depends. Well, yeah. maybe. Um, so when we're on the air, we're streaming. You can go to our website and stream what's going on live. When we're off the air, the archive becomes a jukebox. So K-Chung is always streaming, and what's on the air when we're not on the air is something that has been on the air. Yeah. And sometimes it's stuff from 2011, and sometimes it's stuff from yesterday. Yeah. A, a, ran, a script randomly calls the content. Um, 
You're going to have to ask a lawyer. <laughs> uh, a number of streaming, like internet streaming uh, websites and projects have come up against this. And it's my personal attitude, not the attitude of Cajun, that everything that we do is fair use. That's kind of, it's an, that's an extreme uh, legal perspective, but realistically, the, the kind of reach that we have is not, uh, is not significant enough to, to, to merit, um, yeah, that root, although it's something that we've discussed time and time again. And our new status as a nonprofit creates you know, layer of protection and liability that is new to us, and that's something that we're just exploring for the first time. Uh, it does not surprise me that you guys have all the right questions. But our broadcast operations are still supported by our dues, and that's sort of incredible. How many members is that? I use 200, but it's, it's a soft number that's always changing. I don't think that 200 people pay dues, actually. Um, $10 a month or whatever you can afford and for a while there was actually just a jar in the studio <laughs> and, and a checklist and then you know someone would e email you um, and now we've we've migrated to a PayPal recurring system um, so with our art projects We'll, you know, we've been asked by a lot of our organizations in town to do a thing. If there's something at Mocha Grand Street, K-Chung might supply DJs and musicians to do a stage. Uh, at the LA Art Book Fairs, the past two years, there's been a K-Chung stage with musicians curated by K-Chung staff. Uh, two years ago at the Art Book Fair, there was actually a broadcast booth that they built into the Mocha Contemporary so that we were broadcasting from the fair. Um, and these projects, and for example, our um, participation in the DCA's current public art biennial water, uh, which was at Furman Point down in San Pedro, we had a remote broadcast there in July and August. Um, those things are done very much like the way an arts organization would work. People take a project on, they decide that they want to be the lead on it, and they go for the grant, and they either get it or they don't. And then if they get it, then they've got to figure out how to make a K-Chung, you know, be able to cover the check that it's written to, you know. It's, and, and that's fun, and there's, there's a number of artists that have done great projects with that. For, and for example, when Rochelle's email to the staff list came in, I read it and I said, that's me. I'm going to go to the Metabolic Studio. Like, but, but other emails come in and other people take them, and it's a little bit of a free-for-all. You know, there's no hierarchy, so there's, there's craziness. And, and in terms of... Um, you know that 200 number I use. There's all these people on our email sub list because you you sign up to be on the wait list and you know maybe it takes you nine months to get a show, but you can do a sub slot the next day if you subscribe to the sub list. Say that you're going to do it and come into the studio, and there's 15 of those emails a week. So there's there's a, I'm making K Chunk seem more organized than it is. It's actually <laughs> quite chaotic. Um, and, and again, it's it's fun. The term anarchist has been has been thrown around, but you know that's that's got other connotations. One big thing that has happened with K Chung in the arts world recently is that we applied for and received a creative capital grant, and the project that 
that we're doing for Creative Capital is called Newsbody, and we're basically kind of growing a news organization within Paychuck that's going to have a van with a remote broadcast facility inside it. It can go around the country and cover news. And so that's as much of a description as I can give you because that's probably as much of a... I mean, there's, there's more details there, but in the same way that K-Chang operates in, on the open plan, this is in line with that. And it reminds me, one of the things that I wanted to share is that when I asked uh, Luke what the, what the you know, instructions for broadcasting were, he said it's to, it's to air broadcastable content. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's really... <laughs> There's really no rules, and I, I try to hammer that in when I train people at the station, but people are very resistant to that idea. And, th and then, I, then I tell them that there is a rule, they can't put their beer on top of the broadcast console. And then I explain that I'm really serious. <laughs> um, but we're but we're, in, we're a dynamic organization, and, and we're open to collaborations, and we this is something that we do regularly, and like I've discussed with Rochelle, we're going to arrange a way that metabolic folks can come visit the studio at some point. I hope to bring some K-Chunk people over here at some point. There's certainly um, there's a big slice of there's a big overlap in the Venn diagram between some of our you know, broadcast aesthetics. So there might be ways that our organizations can collaborate in the future. As simple as, as <laughs> Metabolic being a guest on a show or contributing to a show, one of the ideas that we have with Newsbody is that it'll be a way that we can serialize other people's content, because that's not really something that we are set up for right now because of the wait list, because people want to have their own shows and broadcast their own content. Um, now, I want to get through slides over here. This is a very... This was illustrating anarchy. This is, what's, this, is, this is who's on the air right now. What's serialized? Um, serialized is like... A, that's an old uh, radio and publishing term. It's like, yeah, like a serial. Uh, S-E-R-I-A-L. Uh, like so that it's a series. So you, like, you have a body of content that is going to take 12 weeks to air one hour at a time. Yeah. Um, I'm going to run this other slideshow, and then I would like to tell you guys one more thing. I want to tell you a little more about myself and my engagement with K-Chung, because it's fun. And as we do this, we'll just I'll just kind of click through a bunch of flyers from various radio shows that have been on. <laughs> um, so I came to K Chung. I, w I went to a friend's radio show and I said, "I have to do this. This is exactly what I want to do." And I was not new to radio. This is something that I've uh, been doing most of my life. And when I lived in Boston, I did two weekly radio shows, and I did them for 10 years. I produced large-scale radio shows on one station and also on the other station, things that would last for 18 hours, three days. I was a broadcast artist. I taught a class at Tufts University about creative broadcasting for three years. I taught a class at the museum school for a year about sound art. I purposely left this out of my bio. Okay, thank but, you. But, but, I have, but there's a point to why I'm sharing this with you. This was always my um, avocation. I supported myself in other ways. I mean, I did make money when I taught, but it wasn't what 
it, my art was I was a radio artist and I taught a class about radio art and a friend of mine was one of the founders of K-Chun and he is someone who is an artist that I respect massively and he describes his own project as an artist as someone who designs and tests systems so of course I had it in my mind that I would pretend to be a stranger to the system and I sent an anonymous email not an anonymous email but I didn't say I'm friends with this guy I just went to the website and signed up the same way that everybody else did and became involved without nepotism not that nepotism would have been available to me but I was interested in testing Keijo uh, not in a bad way but because of my curiosity and obviously there are other uh, avenues open to me in Los Angeles KXLU Dub Lab if I wanted to do broadcast work I could have but this model is what appealed to me it took me a year to the point that someone asked me if I had paid dues you know, it's it's a it's an evolving thing, and and I think that K Chung is a great success, and I'm really pleased to be a part of it, and I'm pleased to share it with you guys. There are people that um, are very proud of it and their contributions to it, and they've contributed way more to it, and might be more proud of it than I am, but. I'm happy to share this all with you guys today. So, um, thanks for your time. I'd be happy to take any questions. I was a, a, a long-time long uh, freeform DJ on WMFO, which was the Tough station, and I, that's where I went to school. Um, I did a summer program at Georgetown when I was 16. I did radio then, uh, and then starting when I was 18 at Tufts, at the Tough station. Kind of came in through the side door at Harvard. Uh, doing underground rock noise, uh, aggressive music programming late at night on the record hospital, punk hardcore, the whole thing. And WHRB is actually, the Harvard Station is actually a commercial station. Uh, and twice a year breaks into large form programs called Orgies. And I produced a number of Orgies with focusing on uh, record labels or artists or in the case of Harry Bertoya sound sculptures, did all sorts of stuff. And at WMFO, I did a broadcast of Eric Satie's vexations live on the radio and internet 16 years ago. Um, and then I, you know, like things moved on, and I, I left Boston and stopped doing radio. But but here I am doing radio again. Stone's throw for you guys. Um, have there been any um, major snafu conflicts that have happened at the station with the kind of reform anarchist? I mean, that, that I've that I've been party to. The biggest problems that I've seen and it have have been uh, small problems really personality-driven problems where, um, where where someone is uh, maybe has a little delusions of grandeur about how important what they're doing is, and they need to sort of be like coaxed by the group to be like, oh, you know, you're just one of a hundred people here, you know, like, wait, there's no one working for you, like, it's a cooperative, because um, it's hard to explain what K-Chung is. To a lot of, I mean, it actually almost defies people's expectations that it's, uh, well, whose is it? Or what is it for? Or, you know, does anyone get paid? Who works there? Who's in charge? There, there's all these questions. There is a general manager. I mean, there is a 
board of the nonprofit, but these people aren't the people who are giving you a radio show. You know, that's it's uh, it's one guy who's scheduling everybody and going through the waiting list. Um, I guess I'm not aware of too many like big problems. I mean, there's always challenges. With, you know, some of the projects will be ambitious, and yeah, you know, there's definitely been times when like someone drives into the desert and they're going to do a remote broadcast, and like it doesn't happen <laughs> for whatever reason. I mean, that stuff. Yeah. The, the remote broadcasts, I would say, are the part of the most challenging thing because you know, you can get trained on it in the studio. But you know, going into it. if anyone's ever done a demo in front of a bunch of people, you know that like uh, things can go wrong. I want to thank thank D and D here for hooking me up with no problems. Um, I'm gonna think about that. I might email you something bad. No, no, no. I'm glad to hear there hasn't been anything. And I was also wondering about interface with the Chinatown community. That's that's a good question. The the building, the, as far as I know, the building that we're in is, um, you know, been artist studios for some time. So there's an expectation that there's something like what we're doing happening there. Uh, we're right above FO eighty seven and next to Human Resources, but. In order to get to our studio, you have to walk into the Foyer 7 parking lot, walk up the red stairs, turn left down the hallway, turn right down the hallway, turn left down the hallway, turn left down the hallway, make a U-turn, go upstairs, make another U-turn, make another U-turn the opposite direction, and there's our studio door. Wow. So it's semi-secret. Um, and it's, it, it definitely is evocative of the, the sort of like temporary autonomous zone. Um, one of the concerns, uh, that I have obviously is the, you know, making it an autonomous zone, making it a safe space. At the college radio stations that I was involved with, one of the perennial issues was like a DJ who's a creep. You know, that's, but that really, it's, there's something about the community that's fairly self governing. Um, so it's working out. Good. Is there any way to tell how many people are listening, or are you can you tell by your feedback? Or yes, there's what your there is, is there is a, there is a way to tell how many people are listening to the feed, and the people who have access to that do not share it with people, and that's intentional. Um, it's something that comes up every once in a while, and then it just kind of dies down. But the from my point of view, I don't think that that information it should be important because it takes, because it adds a hierarchy to things. Yes. Uh, however, there are ways to tell because we have a little chat widget built into the streaming page. So if there's a lot of chatter on there, you get a sense that there's a lot of people listening. Other statistics that could be mined would be you know, the number of downloads from the archive of a certain file. Yeah. Um, uh, and and also there's other statistics which are really bad to judge listenership but if someone posts an idea for the, you know, the radio program they're doing and it gets a hundred likes on Instagram there's probably more people listening to that than the one that got ten likes yeah. but you know that's really soft Instagram, a lot of the images that I've been showing here are Instagram posts. Sorry about the, the some of these are cropped. Um, so, so to answer your question, yes, but we try to keep the emphasis on broadcasting. And I, personally, within K-Chung, I actually try to encourage K-Chung DJs to listen to K-Chung shows. Tim, we have a question over yeah. here. Um, has accessibility been an issue with like drawing in a certain type of audience as far as like those who don't have a computer or like don't go to museums to see you guys or like don't have the like couldn't find your office and like do you think that contributes to the 
like ability to like self-govern the content that's nice. As far as concerns about accessibility, I not really. No, from my point of view, I think that we want people to know about what we're doing, but we also are. Uh, people finding us the way that they find us is fine. And a lot of people found us through the Hammer Biennial, and a lot of people found us through the New York Times article. And uh, what was the second part of your question? I'm sorry. Um, yeah, oh, location. Now, our physical location, in terms of accessibility, it might not be ADA accessible, <laughs> as I just described. Uh, but. But it's not really meant to be a public space. It's more like a, a sh it's more like a, sh it's really, it's a studio. I mean, to someone who's cynical, looking at K-Chung from the outside, what is it? Well, no one's listening to it, so, you know, blah, why are they doing it? It's actually an incredible resource of, it's a way for someone to come and produce a radio show in one hour's time. And have it archived. And so in that regard, it's definitely like a co-op. And, uh, you know, the station managers are the facilitators, but they don't control the content. They just help someone who doesn't know how to plug the mini jack in, plug it in. Yes? Is there any um, live visual? You, you know, that is, a, that is a good question. No, there is not, but there has been a couple of times we... There's an art space in Philadelphia called Vox Populi, and they asked us to do an exhibit there. And during the span of that exhibit, we did have a webcam. And so if you were in the gallery in Philadelphia, you could see the DJ in LA live. But um, for, for whatever reason, it, we haven't taken that step. I know that Dub Lab in the past has had you know, you can like live cam the DJ. But no, the K the K TV project that was all like that, that was not uh, from the broadcast studio. That was like a separate live production at the Hammer. So could you talk at all about the LACA and whether they see themselves as having a collection? Yeah, I can. I. I'll, I'll disclaim even further that I yeah, am not don't directly. Speak for them. I don't speak for them, but I know them all and I like them. Yes. And I actually set up music shows at their space, so like yes. I feel okay uh, <laughs> telling you about them. Um, the the mission of the Los Angeles Contemporary Archive is is sort of to be a, a repository for the ephemera that is created by artists in Los Angeles, uh, artist multiples, artist books, um, zines, and posters, and this sort of thing. And, it, and also published books. Uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Mountain School. Yeah. So the Mountain School archives are at LACA, uh, and LACA worked with K-Chung to provide a programmer to uh, figure out a way that when we're uploading our files at the end of the day of all the programs that had aired on that given day that the metadata about those programs and the files themselves would be uh, hosted at LACA with their library taxonomy. The physical space that LACA has is downtown south of the Arts District on Washington. It's in the same building as the Francois Gepoli Gallery and the Fahrenheit Gallery. So it's in, across the parking lot from Night Gallery. I don't know if you know what any of these places yeah. are. Uh, and if you go there, they have uh, library shelves, a catalog system, and a physical archive as well. And one of the founders of Human Resources is also uh, one of the LACA folks and is also a K-Chung DJ so the, there's there's a lot of overlap in, in those organizations well, I neglected to tell everyone that Tim 
has his own show <laughs> on K-Chuck. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Every yeah. Thursday night, if you want to just... We're on it right now? The, uh, yes, this is it. Live. Remember those challenging shows I was telling you about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, to, I, to further illustrate, uh, I, you know, I told you my kind of radio resume. So I was involved in some fairly structured uh, radio you know, I was I was I, I had a radio show on WMFO where I would broadcast the syllabus of the course that I was teaching at, at the college, and I would get the students to listen on the radio. I mean, it was it was just before MP3s really got popular. So I actually had students listening to my radio show for their listening assignments about things that were on radio. I you know I've got books and books on this subject, and. I, I, what I saw in Cajun was the place that I could unlearn everything that I had wrapped around myself and just like have a party on the air. So my show is actually, um, I wouldn't even say that it's, it's not immature, but it, it, it's, it sounds like stuff you hear at parties. You know, it's, it's people BSing. Over avant-garde jazz, dub reggae, bass uh, <laughs> lanchette sculptures, Harry Bertoia sculptures, you know, African drums, any any kind of interesting or marginal music that can effectively drown out a conversation about psychogeography. Like spots and zones is the segment on my show where I ask people a, fam- a, a favorite spot or zone, and you know. It's usually a Legion Park. Yeah, it's usually you know, it's usually something in this area. Thank you for the plug opportunity. So it's my show. My show is called Pacific Gravity, and it's every other Thursday night at midnight. At midnight? Mm-hmm. Is that tonight or next Thursday? Next Thursday. Please don't feel obligated. I thought you were gonna say please do listen. <laughs> I got a question for you. Sure. Just out of curiosity, when you're doing the uh, remote broadcast, um, what do you, how do you guys think, like, especially with the FM, how do you guys pick exactly, like, where, what you're going to broadcast this to? Is it kind of... Do you mean, like, like what radio receiver to broadcast? Or, or like, basically, like, as I find the LA FM dial is slam, you know? Oh, like, like, like what how do we find the second adjacent station? Yeah, uh, is it something that It depends on where the... It depends on where it is, really, and, and, and someone just listens to it and try and tries to get some open channel. And it tends to be towards the left end of the dial, but not always. No, because it's it's being done within the, the threshold of you know le- legality. No jamming. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed the latest Explorers Club session. For more information, please visit metabolicstudio.org. And thank you.